Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Constitutional Matters with myself, Zakira Desai, for the third episode of our new exciting show marking the 20th anniversary of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa. As a seven-part series, Constitution Matters brings to light a joint venture on progressive constitutionalism by the Voice of the Cape Radio, the National Body of the Students for Law and Social Justice, and the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution. The Constitution of the Republic of South Africa was approved by the Constitutional Court on the 4th of December 1996 and took effect on the 4th of February 1997. The document has subsequently been acclaimed as one of the most progressive constitutions. In this episode of Constitution Matters, we discuss the right to education. And in studio with me, we have Dr. George Hall, Advocate for Equal Education, Mbeki Zeli Benjamin, Master's Student in Human Rights, Colin Brankis and Fees Must Fall protest leader Sinotolo Boyi. So welcome everyone. I hope everyone's doing okay. I know it's quite late on a Wednesday evening in the middle of the week already. So we'd like to start with you Colleen. We know that you are currently doing your Masters in Human Rights. Can you take us through what does the Constitution say about access to human rights and human rights law in general with, with regards to obviously the right to education? Okay, thank you. Good evening, everybody. So the South African Constitution, so the, so the South African Constitution includes a Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights can be found in Chapter 2 of the Constitution, and it sets out many rights that all people in South Africa are entitled to. The right to education can be found in Section 29 of the Bill of Rights, and it says that everyone has the right to a basic education including adult basic education and B to further education which the state through reasonable measures must make progressively available and accessible and I think this is what is going to be the basis of a lot of our discussion for the rest of the show yes and Dr. Hall if you could take us through the idea what the phrase access to education means uh, we know that uh, the Constitution says it must be accessible what is meant by that term thanks very much Dr. and good evening to all the listeners um, I think uh, I'd like to uh, highlight something which was also mentioned two weeks ago in your first program which is that while the, uh, the drafters of the Constitution and the courts decide what rights people have, it's not for the courts, but rather it's for um, the legislative and the executive arms of government to implement those rights. And so um, we shouldn't assume in all cases that when people have a right to something, uh, and therefore it should be accessible to them, that that means that it should be free. I'll just give you a quick example to make that clear. Uh, for example, there's a right to basic nutrition. Uh, we don't, for that reason, in South Africa, uh, think that shops shouldn't charge... Um, price uh, money for food. I think there are two reasons why we don't. Firstly, if, if somebody already has an income which easily covers the food that they need, why should they get the food for free? Secondly, it would actually lead to waste and inefficiency and make it harder to realise other rights if you didn't have a market, because the effect of a market in food is that uh, the various providers of food compete to provide a quality product which people want for lower price, thus driving down waste and keeping the quality up. I think um, with education as well, we need to think what's the best way to make education accessible rather than assuming that that is to make it free. And Sinatolo, we know that the Fees Must Fall movement have been very vocal about access to education. Can you take us through what are the main concerns of the movement? 
I don't know where to start, whether I should start by responding to Dorit Hall or just go through constitutional imperatives as to why the right to education makes sense and that it should be free, right? So if you look at section 10 of the constitution, it talks about um, the right to dignity. And so that, that everyone has an inherent right to dignity, right? So, and that it should be respected. So if you counterbalance this against what Dr. Hall is saying, that both is a right to something, doesn't mean that you're entitled to. It means that on a theoretical level that your dignity is there, but it doesn't mean that you actually have to observe and respect it, right? That's the underlying fairness in what he's saying. And then secondly, even if you look at, I don't want to go through examples, but um, what, 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 what the point that he's making, which the failure that it fails to um, address is the point of agency, right? So. There are students that want to access education, but they cannot access it. Um, however, there, there's something we, we are told this line when we're growing up that education is the key out of poverty, is the, is the key to success, and all of those things. But now we're told that to move out of this poverty, you've got to buy a way out of it. Or you're already in poverty, by the way, right? Um, and then we're already saying that if the reason I'm going to the right to dignity in particular is because we find that the state of black people within South Africa is that it's actually is undignifiable, right? So we're saying that um, for one to actually even realize the self-worth, um, education is one of the means to enshrine that right to dignity, which we call to be inherent. Unless we're saying that it's only inherent, as far as you're given the constitution, it doesn't mean that you can actually access it. Then that's another different conversation about the status quo that we are in right now. Um, I, mean, I haven't even gone to the p uh, paradigms of the movement and what the movement is calling for. I'm just at a preliminary level talking about constitutional imperatives which actually makes the right to free education for all um, it makes sense in that context and just to table all the views in, in very you know the show the show is quite brief today um, Becky Zele if you could tell us what is what has equal education we know that they've tabled concerns with the fees commission what are those concerns um, thank you Takira um, I, I don't think we we have um, enough time to deal with all of all of our submissions that we made to the um, to the fees commission. But just to quickly summarise, um, our main main submission is, is that we should look at the education system as a whole. Um, that includes higher education, obviously, but also basic education, because if we we're talking about access, then that means you must be able to access something and participate. To, the, to your full potential, because the Constitution, in the preamble, actually, at the very beginning of the Constitution, it speaks about freeing the potential of everyone in South Africa. So for you to free your potential, as Nagolo says, education is one of those means. But for you to, to, to be able to access that education, uh, especially higher education, we believe that basic education is, is the most important one. Basic edu uh, education meaning all the way from early childhood development when you are a toddler all the way up to metric and even and even beyond that because the constitution in section 21a also talks about adult basic education so everyone must have access and what does access means access means that those who, who need it who need the education must be able to receive it in the way that best suits them so they must be able to partici participate in an, in, in an education system adequately and if the basic education system prepares you to adequately participate in the higher education system so we are saying our main submission is that you must look at the um, education holistically and then we should also look at what education intends to achieve 
And then this goes to our second submission that if we're going to realize the transformative value of education, then we should be pressing the state to, uh, to fund it adequately. And then we can then go into the debate about what is adequate funding and, uh, and look with reference to the Constitution, which says that the state must uh, make uh, available resources for it and it, it, it must, those resources um, must be able to ensure that education is, 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 is progressively available and accessible to everyone. Dr. Hall, sorry, uh, commenting on what Mbekizele has said, we know that you may, earlier you made a sort of, under, you, you, under, you broke down what accessibility means in terms of the access to education. Uh, can you tell us, uh, can you make the distinction between making education accessible within reason and uh, funding of education? Absolutely, yes. So I think that the access principle we should be following here and I think I'm agreeing with Becky Zeller here, is that no student who has the academic ability to benefit from higher education should be denied access. When we're talking about basic education, which is also incredibly important, that no student who has the academic ability to benefit from that should be denied access. Now, um, of course, the biggest barrier at the moment to access to higher education is not money, but it's in fact the variable quality of basic education in South Africa. So if we care about realising access for all people who can benefit from higher education, um, paying attention to the quality of schools is absolutely imperative. If I may um, make a further point, I don't think there's so much of a disagreement between Sino Kolo and, and, and me as he perhaps thinks. I do think that um, if people have a right, then they must be able to access something. The point I was making is that uh, something being provided free of charge is not the only way in which one can have access to something. So, for example, in the 90s, uh, in South Africa, the Tertiary Education Fund for South Africa, which was introduced, which is purely a loan scheme in order to make sure that people who don't have the financial resources or receive a loan from the government to pay their, their student fees and then when they have a higher income because of the university education they get later on they're able to pay it back. That means that it's accessible to all people who can benefit from it without making it free, uh, absolutely free. It's free at the point of use but it's not free because later when they're able to pay they do. We would not want to break the conversation in the middle of any vital points. We do remind our listeners that they can contact us on our WhatsApp line on 072-238-0712 or SMS us on 47913. Joining me in studio is Dr. George Hall, Advocate for Equal Education, Becky Zeli Benjamin, Master's Student in Human Rights, Colleen Brankis, and Fees for Protest Leaders in Atolo Boy. Before the break, uh, Dr. Hall was providing us with some interesting points regarding regarding uh, the access to education, whether or not it should be funded. Uh, Sinatolo, can you weigh in here? Um, I think the fundamental distinction, which I may be inclined to, to agree with Dr. Howell, but I think it's important that we break down what free means and what access means. Because I think when people think of the word free, they think this thing will not be paid, that people will just be studying for free, and like there will be no payment, right? Um, hence it says that it needs to be then accessible and then there must be a loan scheme. I can say that at UCT currently there's a, a, plan, a research and planning group which has been constituted, and it's looking at ways to make free education possible, right? And by making it free possible, um, then we look at how do you pay back post the fact. And this is then our distinction between accessible and free. So by free, not meaning that you will go to school and study and then um, derive the benefit and then nothing happens. Um, but look, th look at the police, right? You don't pay to use the police. The police is a free service. You look at the military. But you however do pay through tax. That is post the fact you receive the service. And that's the same principle that we mean with free education as well. And so note by accessible, that is accessible means agency. 
free means that if you want, you've got the capacity and you want to be there, you're able to be there. But in freedom, it's very important that we strongly say that free for all. And there's a reason to say free for all, not free for those that can't pay or free for some. Our society is already stratified. We don't want to make that class visible in universities as well. You say that uh, we pay for we our tax our, our taxes pay for police. We know that there's approximately 17 million people on social grants. So, Dr. Hull, if you could come in here and say, if you could argue that, or if you could comment on whether or not having the taxpayer pay for fees, would that not mean that the poorer majority would then be paying? Because there has been comments, and we have a comment here that has asked, would the, would the majority of the poor not be paying for fees if it were to be made free? If you could comment on that. Well, that's an important point, because free, for those who use it, doesn't mean free. It means that somebody else is paying for it. Now, I take Sinagola's uh, point, absolutely, that graduates pay much more tax than other people. That's an important point to bear in mind. However, there's a difference between university and the police and the army. The police and the army are there to serve all of us. They do so, They should serve all of us. However, currently, you know, in the 2011 census, it said only 11.8% of South African 29-year-olds had been active in higher education at all, and far fewer will have actually graduated. So it's only really a very small minority of the population which is currently benefiting from universities. That's a difference from the police and the army. Another point to make is that not just graduates pay tax, and I think that's the, the spirit of the comment which has been made. Um, there are plenty of people who are paying income tax who never went to university, and even the people who don't pay income tax, who are poor, who are unemployed, they're still paying taxes. They're paying VAT, they're paying a variety of consumption taxes. Now, what we need to... There's an important difference between higher education and basic education, which is that... Um, if you, so the, the, the average monthly earnings for employed people who just have a matric are um, 8,600 rand currently. If you've got a bachelor's degree, you can expect to earn 26,000 rand per month. That's three times higher than the earnings with just a matric. So basically you've got fewer than one in 10 South Africans who are able to triple their expected lifetime earnings by going to university. The question is, is it fair for those people who don't go to university through their taxes to be funding basically a personal enhancement not, not like paying for an operation which brings people back up to normal functioning after they've been disadvantaged, but rather to put them ahead, whatever their background might have been, to put them ahead of other people in the competition for jobs and the competition for good remuneration over their lifetimes. Um, I would suggest that it's, that it's not. However, we have to be careful here again because uh, higher education is not just a benefit for the people who get it, it's also a benefit for all of us to have professionals, lawyers and doctors and other people around who can do a good job to have citizens who can make a contribution to public debates around. However, it is a, pri a substantial private benefit as well. So I would suggest that a fair system of payment, a fair way of implementing this right to higher education is for half of the unit cost of higher education to be funded by the, from the public purse, but half of it to be paid by the student, not of course at the time when they enter university, very few students can, can possibly do that, Sinokolo is completely right about that, but rather um, to pay to pay later once they're reaping the benefits of their higher education and that's what a loan system allows us to do. Colleen, we know that you are a student at the moment as well so can you add to the conversation? I just, as I'm listening to the, to the statistics, to me this is just another reminder of how, the, our, how our university system contributes to the enormous inequalities in society. So if a majority of our population are accessing university or are getting the marks to access university, it, it says something to us about 
who who is occupying those spaces and for me the argument for free education is about opening up the spaces so that all South Africans regardless of socioeconomic background regardless of where you find yourself can get into those spaces because we know that the reality is that that's not happening and in South Africa another thing that people don't always want to acknowledge is that race and class are so closely linked to each other because of the legacy of apartheid that we've inherited I read something by someone who said that the majority of people in our country are black and the majority of black people are poor and that's gonna stay like that if we don't do more to help poor people to access these tertiary education spaces which are very elite spaces and then just the last thing I acknowledge that there are many demands on the public purse and government has to make difficult decisions about giving money to health care or education or housing there's lots of different demands, but I definitely think that there's an argument to be made for more to be put into tertiary education. Becky Zeli, we know that uh, the fees must fall has mainly been geared towards tertiary education, or at least that is what the, the main movement. Uh, going on what Colina said, do these concerns ring true for primary education as well? They, they absolutely uh, do ring true for, 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 for basic education as well, Takira. In the sense that in basic education, for example, it is, it is understood that um, it is a public good. It is a fundamental right and resources should be, should be poured into it. And do you see this in, in the way that um, the, the government funds education? And it makes it, it, the, the policy of, for example, of um, no-fee schools is a re realization that uh, that um, for us to be able to achieve um, universal access to basic education, for example, because it's, it is a fundamental right, then we we have to to pour the adequate resources. But at the same time, we acknowledge that in certain in certain circumstances, we there will be a need to uh, to sort of um, balance out. Um, what the government is pouring in and what individuals are, are pouring into into the basic edu education system. So that's where you'll have the concept of fees, but this is only for a minority um, of schools. The majority of schools are no fee are no fee schools because of this realization that the majority of of South Africans. Um, did not have access to any education at all. And for us to, to level those playing fields, we have to make sure that we shift more of the resources um, to no-fee schools, which will cover the majority and will make sure that there is at least universal access and then the, the, the playing fields are leveled to, to some extent. So the, the questions that um, Colleen, for example, is, is posing about who, um, how many people should participate or who should participate and how do we make the participation possible in basic education? Those are the questions that um, the, we, we, we have grappled with and we have, uh, as, a, as a state, as South Africa, we have poured a lot of resources into that to try and, and balance the playing fields a little bit. You make mention of this concept of no-fee schools that we know has been on the increase and the Western Cape re recently has uh, been at the helm of that. Can you comment on whether or not it actually has been effective in creating a level playing field? It, it, it has been effective to a certain extent, but um, we as Equal Education, the Equal Education Law Center are saying that it should be more. It does not address issues of equity, for example, the, the funding formula that we currently have. Because even if you are a no-fee school in a poor area, 
compared to uh, a fee-paying school in a rich area, there's still those inequalities, and we should be adjusting the formula to make sure that there's even more resources that are, that are poured into, into the poorest of the schools to, to sort of um, balance it out, because the inequality reproduces itself. Um, and if we are going to deal with that inequality, and the question of no fee schools is trying to deal with inequality, but unfortunately we're going to deal with it adequately. We need to, to pour a lot more resources. So it is, it, it is going somewhere, but we need to tweak it a little bit to make sure that it, it does address issues of equity. We remind our listeners that they can join the conversation uh, and WhatsApp us on 072-238-0712 or SMS us on 47913. Zinot Kolo, we know that you have been uh, very fervently raising your hand and uh, I know that this is a, very, a burning issue for all South Africans. Can you comment on what... Uh, medic, uh, sorry, uh, maybe... Make it sale. We have so many people in, 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 in studio at the moment. Can you comment on what he has said? I'll further like to go across that point, right? So, in terms of the million developmental goals, it is said that South Africa has, I forgot what goal it is, but said that South Africa is one country in Africa that has reached at least 98% universal access in terms of um, um, guaranteeing primary education or basic education. But then the reason why, like, as I said, that it's important that we start at um, early childhood development and topped um, from the bottom up is because there are many contradictions that you find within uh, tertiary institutions, right? So like some of the arguments against free education, for example, in tertiary institutions is if you are saying that um, let's let um, tertiary education be free because then like one way organize the education is a public good and that graduates will be able to pay back, the majority of these graduates which the free education really is for, um, they, cannot, they do not exit the system with a degree. Um, as such, are they not wasting money and that? Um, the question, the, the, the answer to the question actually lies in, um, it's because already your school does not prepare you for varsity. So like a center of higher education say that one in every three black children will find themselves excluded in university. So when we talk about that the state is making no free schools available, we should also not look at that qualitatively, but substantively, mm. because there have been hundreds no fee schools, but only one bachelor pass in every 10 schools is going to be a problem, right? Mm. And even that bachelor pass will encounter further problems within tertiary education. That's something that should also be looked at. And that's, we need to understand everything as feeding to each other, even the call for free education. We have a question, but before we continue or we'll ask Dr. Hall to comment on what Sinatolo has said, we have a question in from 7018 and the, the person says, why must education be free for all? Is that not tantamount to, to the redistribution to the wealthy? Uh, Sinatolo, would you like to comment on that? Because I know that you made that uh, comment earlier regarding um, free education for all. So already in already in society right now, right? So we've got things such as NSS, we've got birth orders and all of those things, right? Um, and we look at the class stratification within our, public, on our, on our campuses, within our universities, and find that these things are not working. So we, let's imagine that we're going to give free education, but not for all. At which point do we determine that you should be able to pay? No, you can't, right? Because already this system already does exist, whereby to say that education for those that are unable to afford is being made available. But the reason why movements such as Fismas Hall arise is because we say that the system fundamentally does not work. The fact that I have a 600k plus annum, right, 
does not mean that I'm actually able to uh, pay for my child's education at UCT. Because I'm black, right? Um, this black tax. I support many hundred other um, generations within this one income. That's why the argument of for all makes sense. And secondly, already class something which is physical, physical is tangible. Um, we are not replacing, when we say we are going to make education free for the poor, that is not new. This is what, this is for the poor with already is not working. Dr. Hall, would you like to come in here and just comment on what Senator Kolo has said? Yes, uh, so I'd, I'd like to return to the point that, um, that, that has been made by Mbekizeli as well, which is that if we want to, I mean, South Africa labours under a really awful level of inequality. Um, all studies show that if you want to reduce inequality, you need to spend on primary education, basic education, you need to spend on health, you need to spend on infrastructure, and so forth. If you spend on higher education, then you're likely to cement the inequalities which already exist because of the structure of society. So um, that, I think, is an additional virtue of the, the loan model which I've been advocating today, uh, because, in effect, it, rather than taking money away from uh, other priorities at the moment, in the present, what it allows you to do is take money from the future, the future graduate earnings, which, are, which students are going to have when they become graduates on the basis of their degree, and fund the system with, with, with that money now. Now, I would also like to agree with something which Sino Kolo has said, which is that the means test is a problem with the current system. Um, first of all, it's ineffective. Uh, secondly, it's expensive. Thirdly, it uh, provides opportunities for irregularity and corruption of various kinds. And fourthly, and very importantly, it, it's sometimes experienced as stigmatising and even humiliating for those who have to go through the means test. That, however, doesn't, again, doesn't mean that we automatically have to move to a free, at the point, a free system. Why not? Because a loan scheme can be expanded such that it covers everybody who um, gets a place as an undergraduate uh, at the first, for the first time as a South African at a university. Now, does that mean that we're funding the rich? Not necessarily. If another tweak which I would suggest to the current National Student Financial Aid Scheme system is that the interest rate is currently too low. Uh, the interest rate should be raised to above the government's cost of borrowing. Why? Because uh, as long as you make sure that people don't have to repay their loan until they're earning a healthy uh, income, it won't affect how manageable it is for them to repay that loan. That then allows them, the people who graduate and get uh, high earnings because of that, to contribute some of the shortfall from people who don't graduate or never reach those high lifetime earnings. So this would be a way to have a universal system without an unfair free system which takes money away from people who don't benefit from higher education and gives it to the privileged. Senator Kolo earlier made the point of black tax and this concept that burdens those who once they leave the tertiary education they still have are at a disadvantage even if they are earning 26,000 you know that was cited as the sort of average of bachelor graduates uh, does this as an open question we can uh, take we can start with uh, Dr. Hall if you could just quickly say uh, whether or not this is an unfair system because I think many may argue especially the millions of South Africa who are currently still paying off loans if that is possible to actually get them out of that system and whether or not it is an actual unfair system. I think it's a reality for a lot of students and graduates. Um, I think it's a great, it, it, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it manif it's a manifestation of a great injustice in South Africa. I think what we must be careful about doing is thinking that we can implement a lot of rights, too many rights, just with one policy instrument, which is higher education funding. Why? Because if you want, I mean, a lot of people uh, are paying black tax because they have relatives or associates who are sick and don't have proper care, who are unemployed uh, or who are elderly without a pension. 
that is something which the government should be dealing with, but it should be, should be doing, dealing with it with tailored schemes, pensions, with a proper national health insurance system, um, and with, 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 with help for those who are sick, a proper, uh, uh, you know, universal pensions and universal health. Uh, it's a clumsy and ineffective way to try to meet that need, to try to realise those very important rights, to think that you're doing it by writing off their relative student debt. The second point I'd make very, very quickly is that we must avoid focusing on shifting money between members of uh, the privileged middle class, which graduates are, whether they come from a poor background or not. There are three million uh, currently 18 to 24 year olds not in education, employment or training at all. That's where the priority should be in terms of our spending and in terms of redress in South Africa. Colleen, please weigh in here quickly. We have uh, four minutes left of the show. So Ian, I know that you're burning <laughs> with anticipation. Cut me off when I'm going too much. I just, I, I with respect, I disagree with the loan system because I feel like a loan system will keep people locked in poverty for the rest of their lives. And I think it does for many people. And also the idea that, yes, your, your, your poor family should be supported by, like, pension or grants or whatever, that's basically wanting to maintain a welfare system. So it's saying we need to keep poor people dependent on the state forever. Whereas what education does is it, it equips us to break those to break those chains of, of poverty and to overcome all the barriers, especially socioeconomic barriers that people have in their lives. Education gives people agency to be able to do that. So that's why I think there's a very strong argument for free education. And it's not a, it might not be a legal argument because the law doesn't provide for free tertiary education, but I do think that there's a strong political argument to be made. Just And again, it goes back to respecting the right and the inherent human dignity of all people. So if we are committed to human dignity and equality and freedom for all people in South Africa, then I think that education is a, a big part of achieving that goal. Becky Zeli, uh, commenting on earlier the point that was made that uh, matriculants on average earn 8,600 rand and that is sort of seen as what they can earn without having a degree. Uh, would you like to comment on what Colleen and uh, Dr. Tal has said? Um, I, I think it's also it's, it's important to look at, at the value of education uh, from a from a social perspective, in that education is a public good, and if only we're looking at it at economic terms, then unfortunately, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that sits well with what the constitution says education should do, which is freeing up potential. Um, which is why I think we we need to look at the whole entire education system, and how it it equips people to to free up that potential, and looking at it from a market perspective in terms of loans. Um, and uh, I, I don't, in terms of in terms of in terms of loans, um, without um, understanding the social value of education, I think it, it it will not easily square up with um, the constitution, and it, it will easily reproduce some of the inequalities that we we're dealing with now. So what we are saying is that number one, government should f adequately fund education, the entire edu education system, because they are they are not adequately funding it now, and. At the same time, they should um, make sure that everyone has access and that everyone is equipped to adequately participate. And that comes in the building box of, the, of education, which is the basic education system. Sorry, this is the last minute of our show, but Sinotkolo, just in 30 seconds, could you sum up your thoughts on what the panel has said thus far? Wow, within three seconds, this is such a challenge. Um, just quickly, so I feel like there's an agreement between... Um, um, you know, Begizile from Equal Education and us that yes, um, this should the the course of education actually should start from um, 
this, like from early childhood development, right? And I agree with my very much with Colleen that education is a societal good and is a point of inherent dignity that it advances. And if we're going to look at it from a market perspective, then, then we cannot, we will keep on having this crisis. Um, also, like we need to look this in, within the historical context. Um, there's not much time, so I will just say that it must be understood that free education is just an instrument of self-worth and like freeing up the potential species. That's a wrap of a great show. I thank all my guests, Dr. George Holm, Becky Zele Benjamin, Colleen Brankis, and Senatolo Boyi. We ask all our listeners, tune in to Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM next week at 6 p.m. for the fourth episode of Constitutional Matters. You are listening to Constitutional Matters with myself, Adakira Desai. Assalamu alaikum and good evening.